So the reading is in 1 Peter chapter 3, starting at verse 8, and that's on page 1219. Finally, all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing, because to this you were called, so that you may inherit a blessing. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you reason for the hope but do this with gentleness and respect keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against you your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander for it is better if it is God's will to suffer uh, for doing good than for doing evil Josh is now going to come and speak to us from that passage Thanks, Alex. Um, yeah, my name is Josh. I'm on staff here. Do keep that passage of the Bible open. We're going to think about that for a few minutes. Before we do, it's worth telling you a few things um, so that you can follow along as best you can. Um, firstly, uh, we are doing this letter from which Alex read, a letter called 1 Peter, where we've been looking at that whole term. Um, and we really want you to get into it um, for yourselves, not just to, to hear what we're saying on Sundays, but to read it in your own time. And to help you with that, there are these books um, that are available that we are um, encouraging anyone and everyone to buy. Um, it's uh, undated devotion. So it's a little bit to read every day that helps you just think through for 10, 15, 20 minutes, uh, a little bit about each passage in 1 Peter as we go along. They're undated, so you don't have to, um, you know, if you miss a day, that's fine. If you miss two days, that's fine. Um, and it's also a great way of you getting into the book of 1 Peter without um, just taking everything me and Morris say as absolute truth. <laughs> you shouldn't be doing that. So please do um, read that for yourself. These are available um, at the Bible table at the end of the service. They'll cost you pound fifty. I think they're meant to cost like £5 or £15 or £25 or something. So uh, so they're available for £1.50. <clears throat> um, one of our interns, Caleb, will be selling them there. Um, we do take card payment, of course. If you haven't come with cash, get stuck in on that. And also, uh, if, you, um, if Farsi is your first language there, I don't know if they've all gone, but there have been some handouts of what I'm going to say in that. Um, if you'd prefer to follow along in an English version, there isn't an, actually an English version available right now on the link behind me. I forgot to put that up, but if you're at a later date, that will be. Right. All of that out into what God is saying to us. Um, 
pray that as we look at your word today, the difficult things it tells us to do, as we hear your calling on our life and recognize that that is not an easy path, we pray that your Holy Spirit will give us the conviction to know that this is what we're called to anyway, and give us the vision to know that this is the way the world ought to be. And we pray that you'd help us to hear your word today, but not just be hearers, but to be doers and to implant deep in our hearts what we learn, that we might go out and live like this in the week to come. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. When I was a child, I used to have violin lessons. And if you've never learned um, to play an instrument as a child, let me tell you, it's quite hard uh, because as a child, it's hard to learn a new skill. It's a difficult thing to learn an instrument. Uh, it's frustrating, getting lots of things wrong. It takes up a lot of your time. So I was told by the violin teacher, you have to practice for every day. And when I went to school, heard that I was learning the violin. In front of me, they would take the mickey. Because, I mean, let's face it, learning to play the violin is nowhere near as cool as learning to play like the electric guitar or playing drums. If you're playing the violin, I did it, it's great. Um, but you can see that people are going to just, you'd get a few sly comments now and again. Learning the violin made life. But I always had the option to say to my mum and dad, I'm done with this now, I want to finish. I'm not interested, it's, it's making life too hard. I don't want to play the violin, I want to stop these lessons right now. But I never did say that. And I don't think I could tell you why at the time. But I think there was a feeling deep down that there was a better reason to keep going than to worry about what people thought of me. There was a better reason to keep going than to choose an easier life. There was something deep down that told me it's better to have a hard life and ultimately end up enjoying playing the violin. It's better to do that than it is to step out of that, give up. Well, today's passage, the author of this letter, Peter, he says it's better to take another hard road than to give up. In particular, he says it's better to take the hard road of living with integrity as a Christian and to walk the suffering that that brings. Better to do that than to live like you're not a Christian. It's better to suffer than it is to sin. And now that's going to teach us this morning something quite, I expect, because you don't need to go very far into our culture. You don't need to look very far, scroll very far down um, your feed to discover in our culture there's the opposite message. You'll find many examples of people, many messages, uh, many little sayings out there that teach us that it is better to be selfish, do something for you, even if it means doing wrong, better to do that than to suffer. You don't need to suffer. Take control. You'll be taught that it's better to cut off awkward friends and drag down by them. You'll be taught it's better to break commitments, to break commitments, even to leave than it is to feel like you're stuck in life. You'll be taught that it's better to stick up for yourself and say something hurtful back to that person is to have people attack your reputation just get away with it. But Peter says in this passage that it's better to suffer to sin. If we really take it seriously and think about that, I think it is hard to accept 
out. None of us are going to want to do that. It's going to be hard to live out. So here's why you can do it. Firstly, because grace is your calling. Peter gives one verse at the beginning of this passage. How this works. How it is better to suffer than to sin. Christians interact with one another. It's better to get on than to argue. It's better to put up with one another's weaknesses than to fight. Because Peter knows you that there is something much bigger that unites Christians than divides us. So Peter says, be like-minded. I love that he says, be sympathetic. <clears throat> sympathetic is often what you think of with someone who's going through a hard time or who's struggling in some way. He's teaching us that our attitude towards other Christians, especially someone who lets you down or whatever makes you annoyed at them, your attitude is one of sympathy. To think they are living, living as a stranger in the world around them. They're going through what I'm going through. And so you put down their to malice. But to you don't get angry. You sympathetic. With humility, Peter says, whatever's made you cross with another Christian, better than them. Now what that does mean, just this one, community will be a place where you get used to taking a hit without giving one back. So if you find that someone, that you and someone else in your connect group are not like-minded, and that's probably going to happen at some point, Christians living in close proximity to each other, if, even if not in terms of our houses, but in terms of our lives, you can find people who disagree with you, who you think differently than. Well, this verse says, for the sake of unity, as long issue that denies the truth well you might have to agree to their way of thinking even if you don't like that you're going to have to take the hit if a Christian friend says something hurtful to you talk to them about it you can explain what happened but you've got to go into that conversation being prepared to take the hit and them without expecting anything back this nine is how Christians are called to relate to the outside world as well with evil or insult with insult on the contrary repay evil with blessing because to this you are called um use the words of this to make an unfair characteristic so it's worth saying a fair caricature so it's worth saying it is really true that most of the people who aren't christians that we spend our time with most of the time I get that they're actually lovely and friendly people, people you want in your life, people who in no way come out to hurt you. But the expectation in this whole letter is to get to a point, something you believe or a way you behave will bring suspicion or insult or abuse. I know a family who decided to have people around on Christmas Day, people who uh, were from other countries and who, because they lived in this country, would not have known anybody, had no one to, to be there for them. They'd have been alone on Christmas Day, and they invited these people around. But that argument with their wider family, who accused them of not caring about them, who said they had selfish motives, who said they were just putting themselves first. I know another Christian at another church who's never been invited to any of the social events at their football club, 
because they just think he's a bit weird because he doesn't get drunk and he won't be much company at these social events. And at the other extreme of how people interact with the world who aren't Christians, at the other extreme are those churches whose buildings are vandalized because of their stance on various ethical issues or even whose leaders are put in prison just because they're Christians. Whatever your experience on that spectrum, and Peter thinks at some point you'll get there, <clears throat> at some point someone in your life is going to do something that puts you on that spectrum of suffering, Peter says you have a calling. You have a calling in life. You have a calling to respond with grace. And grace is a word that simply means those words in verse 9, repay evil with blessing. As a Christian, it's your calling in life to go away and think about those people who accuse you, to think about those people who call you a bigot, to think about those people who say that your views are hateful or who might manipulate other people so to put you on the outside. Think of those people, and it's your calling, whatever else you're called to, this is what you're called to, to think about the next kind thing you can do for them. To think about what's the next step you're going to take that is a blessing to them. How can you repay them? Peter quotes a psalm in verses 10 to 12. It's the same psalm um, that was read out earlier on in the service. It's a psalm about the person who shelters in God when all around seems, uh, when, when it seems like all around them is opposing them. And Peter, the verses Peter picks up describe the habits of people who look to God in that difficulty. People who are on that spectrum of suffering somewhat at the hands of people who think they're strange or dangerous. <clears throat> Peter picks out the passage that describes what those people are like when they trust in God. He says, whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil, lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. The people whose prayer God hears when the insults and abuse hurt and discourage it's always been the case that those people don't speak evil back. It's always been the case with people who, who take refuge in God. Those people have always decided to turn from doing wrong. Those people are always the people who seek peace. And this really should speak to anyone. The rubber's going to hit the road for you if you're a Christian who wears the label of marginalized and threatened because you're a Christian, because someone said something nasty to you, because you get a sense that people aren't really wanting to have sympathy with your point of view. So you wear the label of marginalized and threatened, and you use that so you can take offense and hit back and criticize or discredit people who rub you up the wrong way. That's not what our calling is. And that's the really countercultural thing that Peter draws out from having been thinking on this psalm. The writer in the psalm is threatened and hated, but because his hope is in God, his efforts don't go into repaying the people who hate him and threaten him. His efforts don't go into fighting his corner, to giving back the abuse, to make fun of the enemies, or exaggerate how badly they're treating him. There's no deceit for those people who shelter in God. If your hope is in God, you don't get to exact revenge. Now, to be clear, it doesn't mean that you don't 
abuse, or step in to defend others who are attacked. Verse 11 is really helpful there. It says we should seek peace and pursue it. So it does mean that we should actively seek, should actively pursue. So we should actively promote justice. And we should go out and uh, confront wrong. But what it also means to seek peace and pursue it, it means don't take offense where there shouldn't be any. Don't stir up conflict where there isn't any. The posture of a Christian towards hostility is like the posture of Jesus. He didn't repay insult with insult. His ministry was to wear other people's wrongdoing, to bear it, to absorb it, and repay that with blessing. If that's what he did, that's our calling too. And if you follow that, then it's better to suffer than it is to sin. But that's possible also because Jesus is your refuge. Um, there's a phrase I've heard people use probably only in the last like, year or so. A phrase to describe people who are really good sports people, really good in their teams. Have you ever heard anyone... Half of you won't have heard this because it's a strange one. Um, have you ever heard anyone being referred to as a cheat code? Um, when someone says, oh, they're, they're, they're a cheat code to have in your team. Um, it comes from computer games. I mean, I feel like I relate to this. I do cheat codes all through my teens. When you're playing on a computer game, and say you're playing a football game, and there's a secret cheat code you can type in to make your team really good, or to make that particular player really good, the best one. So now you've put in your cheat code, and you've got that player on your team <clears throat> who's amazing, 100 out of 100, and you know that no matter who, <clears throat> who you're going to face, no matter which team you're going to play, you're fine, you're sorted, you're going to win. Uh, now, I've not thought through the implications of saying, well, Jesus is a cheat code. <laughs> but the confidence you have in your team when you've got that absolute best player, when your whole team is so good that nothing can stand you, the confidence you have at that point is a bit like the confidence that Peter has in Jesus. Peter knows that if, if you're sheltering with Jesus, then there is no one else who can stand he writes verses 13 and 14, and, and I guess they could seem insensitive. 14. I mean, bear in mind he's talking to people who maybe in a couple of years are going to find that their houses are burnt down because they're Christians. Or maybe even people in the world today read these verses, people who, who've got a church, but their church leader's been arrested and put in prison. And they read verse 13... Who is there to harm you if you're doing right, if you're eager to do good? It might seem insensitive to say that. But Peter knows. You know, Peter isn't saying that that's not going to happen. We know he's not saying that's not going to happen. Because actually the rest of the letter is assuming that that kind of thing... Actually, oh, thank you, yeah. <clears throat> Get rid of that cough. Um, we know he's not saying oh, well, that, if you're eager to do good, nothing bad will happen. So it's better to suffer than to sin, but you won't need to suffer. He's not saying that. The whole letter is about doing good and knowing there's suffering on the way. But he's speaking in verses 13 and 14 out of the confidence that there is someone greater and more powerful than anyone we might face. He says in verse 15, In your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. There is somebody who is over this world, 
who if you put your, your take refuge in, who is there who's going to be able to stand against that? Sure, there'll be jabs. Sure, there'll be some pain along the way. But Peter teaches us that in a world where accusation and are an eventuality for Christians, it comes precisely because you're a Christian, because you've got your hope already in a Jesus who's bigger than all of that. It comes because you've already acknowledged that there is a king over all of that. Somebody who has taken that pain, lived like you, lived to death, rose again and is seated at the right hand of God, ruling the world. That's why you're being persecuted and that is what your hope is in. So he says, do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. And I certainly that, don't think that means you can judge other people, maybe in other countries, where Christians live in a genuine fear for their lives. We can't say, well, they shouldn't be fearful. It's going to be a natural worry if someone posts messages on your social media accounts, they... or a boss who keeps calling you into their office and threatening a disciplinary procedure because they don't like the fact that you're talking about your faith. There will be natural worry, but it's not talking, it's not about worrying about pain. Do not fear, do not be frightened, means you have the confidence that even in your pain, Jesus is your refuge. Even in the conflict, there is someone greater. Even in the prospect of rejection or being treated hurtfully because of your faith and how you live that out, you can face what will hurt with the confidence that whatever happens won't be the be-all and end-all. Nothing is going to happen that is outside of Jesus' control, and nothing's going to happen that attacks precious and what is most secure, how much the Father loves you and has an inheritance. Nothing is going to happen that Jesus doesn't see or is on top of. Last week in the evening service, we had someone who came from a charity called Open Doors, which is a charity that um, helps people be aware of and pray for persecuted Christians throughout the world. And uh, she gave a little testimony in, in a church in Nigeria. This uh, person in Nigeria whose situation is one of persecution, being fearful in some ways of how other people might attack or burn down the church or kidnap people around her, she says, life is not here, it's in eternity. And those of us here who live nice, comfortable lives might think, she's being quite pessimistic about life now. Saying, life is so miserable that she's given her being happy here. Not that her suffering <clears throat> makes her despair. In fact, in her suffering, she's revering Christ as Lord. Because she means that even if she wasn't being persecuted, as we do, even if she's, what you might say, winning at life, even if she were completely free, completely free of worry, with a, a growing career and a house and a family and a pension, well, it's still true that life is not here. Those things don't make life. Her sights, are things, uh, her sights aren't set on things that are temporary and might be taken away. Jesus is her refuge. Christ 
is Lord in her life. So she has no fear of anything being taken from her that's really precious. Even if there is anxiety about who walks through the door next. It's only when we're in that position, revering Christ as Lord, that we can be the kind of people who repay evil with blessing. If in our hearts we revere Jesus as the true ruler, greater than anyone else. If in our hearts we recognize that there's no threat that threatens the relationship Jesus offers. It really is better to suffer than to sin. To suffer knowing that he's your refuge than to sin and try and grab on. If that's where we are, then we can bear the hurts that others because we'll be confident that Jesus is ruling and he is your refuge. And if you live like that, uh, that is the way we speak loudly and clearly to those around us about what Jesus is really like. If you become the kind of person who absorbs the grief that others throw at you, whose confidence is in Christ as Lord, then people will notice that hope is your lifestyle. Before I worked for a church, I was a teacher. And one of the things you learn when you learn how to teach children is that um, a lot of people learn much, much better. Not if you tell them, but if you show them, or if they get to discover it for themselves. If they are the ones with the questions working it out, then people learn a lot better like that. Now, I was taught that, but really I've learned that through experience um, by looking at a lot of um, bored and dull faces. Um, so the principle, like, if I wanted to teach you Newton's third law of motion. So I stand at the front and I say, hi, everyone. Today we're learning about Newton's third law of motion. And I write that on the board and I write it down. I tell you what Newton's third law of motion is. I can tell just even by the looks on the faces. That's not really going to get people interested. No one really is interested. No one came to the lesson today wanting to know about Newton's third law of motion. And how well they understand it, well, who knows? Instead, what we'd always be encouraged to do was to start off with some sort of illustration or a demonstration. Get some of the equipment and show them some, or a video. Maybe the, Newton's third law of motion, if you know anything about it, it might be a good video where someone's in a boat and they push the boat away from a dock. And then I, as a teacher, say, what's going on there? Tell me. Talk to me. What's going on? Which direction is the force going? Which direction is the movement going? What's going on there? And people will think through that and think, oh, hang on. I don't know. I've got some questions. I don't know what's going on there. And then when I teach them, all of a sudden, ah, that explains it all. Now, that's a way that people will understand. There's a verse in, uh, in the last section of today's passage, verse 15, we looked at the beginning of it, and it says, um, always be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. And Christians have often used that verse to train other Christians to uh, be well rehearsed at explaining what we believe about the gospel of Jesus, about the good news of Jesus. So how well you can be prepared to explain to someone who doesn't know what sin is and what happened at the cross. Sometimes we've even used that verse to say, why not have a little leaflet in your back pocket or a New Testament in your back pocket all the time? Now, um, that's fine. I'm happy if people are ready to talk about Jesus. 
But Peter says these words. He says, always be prepared to give an answer to anybody who asks you for the hope that you have or the reason for the hope that you have. He says this in the context of thinking of a situation more like my classroom. He's not assuming that people are interested already to hear about Jesus. He's thinking of a situation where somebody's seen something that raises a question. Where someone has seen something about the life of a Christian and has said, hang on, I don't quite get this. I've got a question here. I can't quite add these things up. Where someone observes a Christian and instead of saying to them, oh, please tell me about Christianity, they say, I don't get this. I don't get your life. Because it is strange. And somebody doesn't return an insult with an insult. You don't see that. It is strange when somebody doesn't have the same sort of fearing and anxiety about slander as other people around them. Someone who's got such a confidence that what other people think of them doesn't carry as much weight. That's unusual. When being hated doesn't break someone. People will say, how can you be kind to them? when they treated you that way. Why are you working overtime to cover their shift? Didn't you think that what they did was disrespectful? It is strange when you meet somebody who's more prepared to suffer for the sake of others than to sin to get their own way. And that's the lifestyle of hope and confidence that makes Christians seem strange. But it's also a lifestyle with kindness and gentleness and respect the lifestyle of someone who is not easily offended, who doesn't try to take offense, who's not moaning all the time, not backbiting. And it's here that Peter says is the opportunity to share your hope. Now that people have seen the strange difference that Jesus makes, they want to know where that comes from. That's not at all to say don't speak about Jesus in any context, at any time, to anyone who's listening. But Peter's not speaking here to platform evangelists. He knows that most of you won't get a platform to talk to interested people about Jesus, but he knows that everyone here will get this opportunity. Everyone here living a life where it's better to suffer than to sin, living a life following the calling, living a life of the confidence that Jesus is their refuge, we'll all get this opportunity. The most effective people at making Jesus known to the world are ordinary people whose lives raise questions. It would be great if Liverpool was full of those people. Their distinctiveness, their obedience to Jesus, yeah, it makes life harder. And people will look at them and probably say things about them. But in response to that, they make the lives of the people around them better. For them, it's better to suffer than to sin. Someone mentioned to me an example of this, of a, a doctor friend of theirs who has got a clear Christian stance on medical ethics. They refuse to help any patients have abortions, but they recognize that this generates work for other doctors in their departments. And so, well, they offer to cover their colleagues' shifts and pick up the workload so as not to be somebody who is a really a drain and a burden on that department. In fact, they want to go out of their way to make life better for that department. Now in that department, their stance on, on abortions is not well loved. People don't want to say how great they are because they want to criticize them. 
But those who speak maliciously against their good behavior in Christ are ashamed of their slander because it's hard to speak badly of someone so kind and so thoughtful, someone who's given them so many good things in response to criticism. And someone looks at that situation and thinks there's something going on there. They're not well loved, but people find it hard to criticize them because they're so kind. They're so generous. They go out of their way to bless the people who think badly of them. There's a question to be asked there about the reason for the hope that person has. And there's an amazing answer ready to be given. The family of uh, that, the family whose parents I mentioned earlier, the critical that they hosted refugees on Christmas Day, well, they took a week of annual leave later on after the new year just to spend time with their parents. They were kind and they were gracious all along, not bringing up anything that was said against them. And still now, they haven't received an apology, but their, their parents feel ashamed to criticize them now because they've used annual leave to come and see them instead of using a bank holiday. There's something going on there about the kindness and generosity of those people. They're obviously not rejecting their family. That's the criticism leveled at them, but you, you can't say that. You'd be ashamed of your slander if you said that. There's something going on there that means that they're willing to take that on the chin, absorb that and not ask for anything in return, and yet live as a blessing to others. There's a question to be asked about the hope that they have. Imagine in Liverpool, 200 homes where that's going on. 200 workplaces with this going on. In your workplace, what is it that's going to mean that you live to honour Jesus even in such a way that others start to hate your views and your actions. But then imagine your countercultural response happens. Their slander is met by blessing. There are Christians going out into Liverpool with the confidence that Christ is their refuge and no one can harm them for doing good. So they're able to absorb the barbed comments and the horrible things, the accusations against them. There are Christians in Liverpool to every workplace thinking, planning their next move to bless the people who are unkind to them. 200 homes, 200 workplaces full of people with questions about where this comes from. Why are these people behaving in such a strange way? And 200 people ready with an answer to give the hope the reason for the hope they have. 200 people willing to say that all we're doing is following in Jesus' footsteps. Every week, you know, we come and sing about this Jesus who did this for us. Every week we rehearse what he did for us. He took my punishment. He took in my place. Those who hated him, those who nailed him to the cross, he prayed for. We love him. Our calling is to follow in his steps. Let's pray. Dear Father, we see here a lifestyle that is different to the one that we would want. We don't want to suffer. A lifestyle that is different to the ones that we see around us. Lord, we pray that you would, by your Holy Spirit, 
not make us grudgingly step into this, but give us such a vision of Jesus, such a love for him, as we think about him, as we dwell on him, as we read about him and sing about him. We pray that we would long to imitate him and that going out from this church would be people who go into all areas of Liverpool to live for you, to and repay evil with blessing. And so to raise that question that we can answer so gloriously with the gospel, Lord, we pray for the, the confidence in Christ as our refuge. We pray for your spirit to help us to not sin, to turn our steps from evil and to do good. Lord, we are powerless to do this on our own. We recognize we are here in weakness. And so we pray that your Holy Spirit would convince us of this and lead us, lead us on in the footsteps. Amen.